0: All right. So we're going to look at um, just the biblical foundations for advocacy and justice and peacemaking. And, um, you know, we all are aware of just the huge amount of poverty and and need around us and in the world, you know, like homelessness, Um, you know, just the increase in sex trafficking and prostitution. Um, You know, in in, in Canada, you know, you have all the exposures of the you know the mass graves of the children from the boarding schools residential schools um, and and you have also the burden missing indigenous women you know awareness about that which that keeps happening as well and uh and so you know between canada and the u.s wow do we ever have you know just a lot of uh, just a lot of things that we could we could focus our attention on, and then we just go further afield to, you know, African settings or or even you know, Latin Mexico. You know, you have child soldiers that are that are used regularly, uh, armed like this kid, but also um, you know, um, like kids that are just used as spies and you know that are sort of a part of insurgencies. Um, who witnessed a lot of stuff and are traumatized from a very young age. Um, you know, we have child labor, which is kind of in the headlines in the U.S. right now, because there's a lot of states trying to make it easier for kids to work. And there's kids, immigrant kids that are working in slaughterhouses at ages like 12, 13. And, and, you know, working long hours, even graveyard shifts, like in our some of our meatpacking plants in the U.S., especially in the Midwest. And these are in settings where there's a huge anti-immigrant you know, sort of movements that are being mobilized by the Republican Party mainly. But like uh, business people are you know are increasingly drawn to underage minors uh, in part because there's a lack of labor and uh, cheap labor. So um, human trafficking is is happening. Um, I mean, massively a lot of these kids that are coming up from Central America, uh, you know, some of them are part of that because they're someone pays their way to come up and then they come up and they're indebted to someone they're indebted to like extended family, which is, uh, there's often abuse that happens in those against those kids. We have the death penalty, which is a huge issue here, but not just in the United States, it's all over the world, you know,
1: um, not in Canada, thanks be to God.
0: You know, um, in Europe, you have lots of Eastern European, like Romanians, uh, kind of gypsy origin people um, who are out on the streets. And, you know, everyone, we all have our sort of equivalents, I guess. Then, then you have incarceration, like, um, like right now. This is really on our hearts because uh, we've learned that most of the county jails in our well, for sure in our state, but I think pretty much across the board in the United States, there's there's a shortage of, of correctional officers, which means that um, a lot of the inmates are are locked down for uh, up to twenty three hours a day because it takes correctional officers to you know you need to have enough of those folks available to monitor what's happening in pods and to make to move. People into the infirmary or to, or to see... come
2: and get people like us who want to do pastoral visits. But they said they're down like 33 at the time. But last time we checked, they were missed. They had lost 33 officers just at our only death, in our like little in jail. Our jail. That's like pretty amazing. You know? So a
0: lot of people are being are being warehoused, especially in jails. Um, like they're just locked in a room. Like my brother, he's in, he's been six months um, in a jail for pretty minor charges, and he, he has a public defender who's taken forever. And the police officer hasn't sent his evidence in, and it's been like six months. And, and there's no way to kind of force the issue and get and get things to resolve. I mean, if we just if we were silent, it, it would be a lot worse. But my brother, another brother, and I were writing the public defender like every every couple of days, and, but still, we're not even seeing really much happening and so my brother just sits there week after week after month after month and there's so many people like that that just end up not even going to trial just having their their trial their trials continued indefinitely just because it takes to get someone on the docket they're the lowest priority to get on the court docket Mm
1: -hmm. someone
0: who's not who's in the Mm -hmm. jail people that are out on bail they're a higher priority and they're they're brought through the system in a faster way, oftentimes, and so we have just people languishing, and uh, you know in El Salvador, oh man, it's crazy there. Like you have, you have the this president who's a tough on gang uh, president who's put in, I mean, just thousands and thousands of they've done sweeps through all the cities and they they're just putting people in cages, you know, like these young men some of whom are getting involved, some who aren't, but just maybe they have tattoos, so that's why. Then we have, you know, refugees continue to live in these refugee camps in places like Lebanon, Syria, and especially after the earthquake, you have earthquake victims, and, and you know, we had the masses of people that moved through after this war in Syria and borders, and, uh, and then a movement of people from Africa, Across the Mediterranean, which continues unabated, and with regular, you know, like we regularly hear about boats that capsize and people drown. So, anyway, sorry you guys, I'm overwhelming you with all this stuff, but you know, like uh, we we want to keep situations uh, on on our radar, um, you know, and be aware of just all the what's going on in terms of just how we're being, I guess, by by people around us. Um, I wonder, I have a question for some of you, um, any of you, like in your circles of your family and your extended communities, do you hear much um, on the way of judgment, criticism of, you know, like, uh, like wow, we sure have we shouldn't be letting so many people into our country, or there's already enough immigrants, there's already enough refugees. Like, where are we gonna draw the line? Do you do you, do you, do any of you hear that kind of talk in your in some of your family circles or extended
1: family circles? No. Um yeah, my sister, like she talks
3: about like how. But we need to be serving our homeless more um, and that there's not enough money going into social services to to help even like our veterans um and like instead so we're funneling money like government money to help more people come to our country we need to help people that we have here first so that's kind of like what my my sister says
0: okay anyone else hear things um you know like uh anti-immigrant, anti-refugee talk? Or do you notice it just in your daily day-to-days?
2: Was somebody talking there? I couldn't hear. No. Okay. Uh, I just talked to somebody I know quite well um, who is suffering from a little bit of, de- well, quite a bit of dementia. So now they're saying things that they probably wouldn't have said, they would have just thought before. But um, this person said to me um, about a med tech who serves them every day, um, you know, who, who is a professional saying that she doesn't like being followed around by a black man. And I, I I mean that's more racial. And he's from South, Carolina, so he's a bit of an accent, you know and, and I think when you you combine that with somebody with a different skin tone um, or he's actually very black. Um, she thinks that he might be doing her what, but she says she's being called. Well, that's his job is to bring you your meds and you know this and that and um, but anyway. I thought, yeah, that's, um, things get revealed when our, when our uh, ability to keep our mouth shut, uh, diminishes.
0: You know, in uh, the United States right now, we have a rise of neo-Nazi, you know, sort of movements and, and it's being, there's a lot that have, that are. It's infiltrated into a lot of law enforcement organizations, and there's a lot of scapegoating against immigrants and a lot of language that's used about like it's it's triggering language like flood or invasion or, you know, regarding our southern border. And so a lot of times when things like inflation start to affect people or the prices of gas at the pump, you know, at the gas stations, people will, you know, will look for someone who's a vulnerable you know some the vulnerable get scapegoated and Mm -hmm. we're seeing so much of that right now especially as we're moving towards uh, the 2024 election Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of it in the media
2: also I've heard people saying like how come all these foreigners are getting jobs and I can't get a job but these foreigners are getting better jobs or they're getting jobs and they have a nicer car than I do a better tv and how is it and i said well maybe some people are willing to take jobs that are i mean they're willing to just deal with uh um, conflicts or you know inconvenient things at work um more than maybe people who are locals and i was trying to explain it that way they said no there's just they're just invading They're just you know there's there's that prejudice Have you, have you oh
1: yeah definitely
0: so anyway, we, we want to keep our ears to the ground about all this kind of stuff. Gracie and I have done a lot of work in the UK and, and in Europe um, and there's a huge movement of kind of right-wing populist groups in all through Europe, you know, that's anti-immigrant and refugee. And, um, you know, people trying to stop the flood, they would call the flood, the invasion, and, and just uh, refuse entry and and people, asylum claims are being turned down and there's, there's uh what would you say are the most pressing mission challenges that have to do with advocacy in your country um ones that are on your horizon or sort of on your radar right now what would you say they are Like in where you guys live in winnipeg
1: mm-hmm. or seattle or wherever um i'm thinking of the history of the church in
3: christianity with um indigenous peoples in terms of like the harm that was caused um by so-called christians um and so like like working in a way that's not like we don't want to cause harm to people that god has called us to love Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yes okay thanks that's definitely critical anything else what else comes to mind what are things that you notice that like um what are some of the things that maybe are less on the public radar and and just the but things that you might be noticing or you are noticing
4: well in seattle no one ever really talks about uh, greed as the reason why there's so much homelessness uh, and so the homeless get blamed for not being able to have $2,000 a month, you know, for a studio apartment. Um, so the governor just passed a a bill that's going to allow more duplexes and townhomes. Um, but that's, you know, so that's sort of going to be presented as affordable housing, but not for not for poor people. It'll be affordable for people who are, you know, would have bought a house 10 years ago, I guess.
2: Exactly. We just met someone last night, exactly, um, but, um, and they, you know, they were saying that they worked at one of the, the main local um, stores here, and <clears throat> we're over east of the mountains in this town of Mazama. Anyway, um, she was saying that she is so excited because she got this affordable housing, house. and I just thought, wow, I mean, you know, she does not look at all like like, you know, like she was a candidate for something like that, because she looks very stable, she's educated, you know, she has nice clothes, and she lives in a nice place, But and I think it's great that there is affordable housing for everyone, but I I think you're right, the priority is not those who are most in need, it's like, yeah, those who would have bought a house but couldn't do that.
0: I mean, this is like probably an outdoor enthusiast who likes to go Backcountry skiing, skiing and, and
2: all that stuff. Yeah, spends
0: all of her extra money on that kind of thing, right?
2: And I think that the idea was to serve, you know, those people. But um, I don't know how it, how how other people have taken the places of of the most vulnerable. Probably because the most vulnerable can't even, you know, they can't advocate for themselves to fill out the paperwork. Number one, or even think that, or even know that they could qualify for that. So how do people that you work with? For example how do they even know that they could qualify for that kind of housing and I guess if no, none of them applies then other people will apply so how, how, it, how, it, how do you deal with that do you talk to people about
4: housing? yeah there's people that who have the the connection or the referral power for housing and, and that type of thing mm-hmm. um, and then they get offered um, and then we try to sign people up with different things but one thing that's a barrier is if you if you are housed you lose your status as a homeless person and so then you become ineligible uh through hud you, became, you know so you've if you've been housed for you know a certain amount of time within a certain amount of years you're not considered chronically homeless anymore and so um that that can affect things and if you get a job, I mean, there's a guy I know who's 77 and he's a Vietnam vet and he gets $1,500 a month in his uh, military pension and disability. And he totally has, could go to a VA housing, like literally tomorrow. Um, But he doesn't want to give up a third of his income, you know? And so whatever that is, a $1,500 a month, he's like, would rather sleep under the on the bike path, you know, by the stadiums, you're like, you know, $500 a month for a one bedroom or studio apartment in Seattle is pretty great, you know?
2: (laughs) I'm just taking notes on what you're saying because I'm thinking about, um, well, I mean, the main reason why people are unhoused, the ones that we work with on the streets is because of fentanyl, but I didn't, I wasn't thinking about that they would lose like benefits would 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 medical benefits be
4: one of them once i mean I yeah know. i mean i've heard that happen to people where you you know you're getting things based on like you're getting your health insurance based on being considered low income yeah but then if you get housing you're not you know so yeah it can affect that i think for sure it sort of de-incentivizes people to yeah to work yeah like who wants to be struggling lower middle class and then have less um stability almost you know for sure
0: so i think it's important for us to be asking god to show us to to notice what we notice to help us notice what we notice
2: notice what we see and
0: um and put things on our radar that are that need to be on Mm -hmm. our radar um you know like uh oftentimes you know we we can Be focused on the issues of the day that the media puts in our face, which perhaps are really important issues to be to be paid attention to, too. But but there may be something right in front of us that is. You know, that we can ignore. And um, where we maybe have some agency even, and we want to ideally, I think, people of faith, if we're tuned into the voice of God and. You know, God is the one who hears the voice, the cries of all the oppressed you know, God can put situations before us that, you know, that maybe are um, are ones that no one would, people would fall through the cracks because they don't fit one of the categories, you know? And so um, Jacques Ellul has a, he's a French uh, kind of uh, intellectual who's written a lot on advocacy and lots of different things. He He talks about how Christians always are Usually, just kind of following um, the trends and are usually behind, you know the frontline people, like like say you have extinction rebellion. It's, I think, a pretty cutting edge, you know, like a climate change movement. Um, you know, and people would probably think that their tactics were were too extreme. It's like eco-terrorist type tactics. But in a lot of ways, they're they're right at the cutting edge of of the whole climate change debate and and then christians come along way afterwards and then they get Mm -hmm. they get on board but people of faith if we're listening to the holy spirit we should be we should be the the people that are the forerunners
2: like the vanguards or something like right you'd think
0: we have an issue of the southern border where um you know like now there are like there's huge numbers of africans sub-Saharan africans that come into mexico they can get visas to come to mexico um there's russians like there's there's lots of russians that are along the border <laughs> it's kind of funny you know like uh, being afraid of russians on our border
2: well because like, they they are able to now get asylum based on
0: because of the war in ukraine yeah. if they're opposing the Draft and stuff. They they can come over, but in. it's
2: like pretty. It's like they're sketchy. allowed
0: in really easily. They can get yeah. into the country through the Mexican border. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way for them to come. So on our border, we have people from all over the world trying to cross, and succeeding in crossing. And then, then there's the Central Americans that are some of the most vulnerable, who are coming in in huge numbers. Um, and and this guy. You know, he's one of the people that stirs up the masses to kind of put a stop to all this. Every one of these people, though, when they cross over, they've got work. Like yesterday, I got a call from a Honduran guy who lives in Florida, who uh, Gracie and I helped him years back to buy some with a loan to get into a, to start a clothing shop in his little town. He's the son of one of our good friends who's a, who was part of our farming you know, ministry back in the day, years ago in the 80s and this guy uh, we loaned him the money but then there was a robbery and all of the stuff was stolen then there was a fire in his house his place burned down so he and his wife came um, to, into the u.s and they're living in florida and now they have a plan to work for six years and make some money to kind of get a business going back in honduras but now they're hearing about how undocumented immigrants are going to be you know like jailed and you know they're going to not lose all no one's going to serve them in the hospitals like like the governor of of, of Florida is starting some measures this July. So he calls me and says, hey, what do you think about coming to Washington? You know, and he says lots of Hondurans and Central Americans are moving out of Florida in uh, because they're afraid of what the, of this new law is going to mean in July. Um, so anyway, everywhere we have this anti-immigrant sentiment. Um, this is a statement from um, a while back in Sojourner's article. It's, I'm gonna quote Stephen Mattson. Although there might be many political, financial, and logistical reasons for citizens to reject the influx of global refugees, there are no theological ones. It may be inconvenient, uncomfortable, and extremely hard, but Jesus wants us to care for these people. The poor, homeless, sick, persecuted, downtrodden, and oppressed. I think that's a pretty, pretty, pretty good statement where um, it's hard to come up with theological reasons, right? Like if someone's arguing with you around your Thanksgiving meal, you know, some conservative relative, and you just say, well, can you think of a, a reason why Jesus would want us to reject someone? They probably couldn't. So, like when you think about immigrants, refugees, these are just some of the scriptures, Jeremiah 23, 22, 3. Would someone like to read that one for us?
4: Uh, thus says the lord do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor and do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger the orphan or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place
0: all right someone else like to read the hebrews uh, 13 1 2
3: let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect
5: to show hospitality to strangers for by this, some have entertained
1: angels without knowing it.
0: So that's a reference right back to, to Sodom and Gomorrah's text, right? Which is uh, when Lot, um, you know, he welcomed the angels, you know, who actually helped, you know, like us, helped them escape Sodom and um. We, we Have we done the Bible study on Sodom and Gomorrah? I forget.
1: No, we have
0: Okay. And then here's the final one, James 2. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? That's kind of interesting. Um, choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and to be the heirs of the kingdom. <laughs> Wow, okay, so we maybe we should think about that. So um, we talked about um, in the in the lecture talk we did on baptism about how the Jordan River was a border was a border, and so when Jesus is baptized at the border, and then leaves the country, that's a, that's a symbolic, you know, sort of a, not just symbolic, but it's an actual departure from homeland. As a, as sort of a, a rite of passage into the kingdom. You know, you, you, your, your highest allegiance is to Jesus and the kingdom of God over your nation and over your bloodlines. And um, and so what, what does that mean? We're walking alongside people, vulnerable people. Um. You know, we have um another issue. Um. People smuggling you know, versus, um, you know, versus uh, human trafficking. So um, this is the definition of people smuggling. People smuggling implies the procurement for financial material gain of the illegal entry into a state of which that person is neither a citizen nor a permanent resident. And so there's a distinction between people smuggling and human trafficking. People smuggling would be volunteer, and whereas human trafficking, is someone's taken by force and trafficked, you know, brought somewhere. Um, people smugglers can and do sm- uh, exploit illegal mi- migrants mm-hmm. through threats and demands for additional <laughs> fees and that kind of stuff. That so it
2: can start out as being somebody's voluntarily doing. That. I mean, they're asking for help from a. A smuggler, right? But yes. then they can get trapped. They can get uh, violated. They can end up um, being kidnapped. Right. All well, one stuff. of the
0: one of the main issues with people smuggling is people can say, yeah, like I know I know people that are like Hondurans that go to Spain, and they'll um, a family member will get money. Who's already in Spain will get money from someone. Will maybe loan them money to uh, to pay whatever it costs to get across. Actually, it costs a lot more to come to the United States than it does to Spain, because you can get people can get visas into Spain, but still just to get all your paperwork in order and to get to, to be able to leave. Um, well, let's look at the example of the US, like people need 15 to $30,000 to get into the United States. So they're in debt. And that often becomes an enslavement situation where someone has to work off that debt. And. Um, and. And so there's a lot of enslavement attached to this problem. But I think we can see God as a kind of human tra- human um, smuggler. I mean, look at this. Because if you think about the kingdom of God, we're brought into the kingdom by grace. So this text, Colossians 1, 12 to 14, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, you know, we are, we are, um, we are rescued. Um, And it's by grace. God qualifies us. This is what upset the religious leaders of the day when Jesus was um, embodying God's unconditional love and, and, healing people who were viewed as being punished for some sin through the affliction that they had, or, you know, Jesus is like freely given healing and touching, um, you know, like lepers and the unclean was viewed as like um, kind of cheap grace by the, you know, by the religious leaders who thought that these people weren't qualified, so they shouldn't get that benefit. And uh, and so their reaction against Jesus's grace would have been a similar reaction um, of, of people to, you know, sort of helping, you know, undeserved, what,
1: who are viewed as undeserving outsiders. So Jesus
0: could be read, interpreted as, as a kind of smuggler. Um, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind engaged in evil deeds yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach so the idea that jesus takes us um through his own um death and um redeems us and reconciles us as an act of grace is a kind of moving us from one realm to another across a border isn't it and we could look upon that when when it comes to helping anybody who's not who doesn't seem like they're qualified like say if you're helping first nations people who are caught up in cycles of addiction you know who maybe are using their their whatever resources like in our 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 state we have people that get you know, monthly, you know, monthly benefits from the casinos, and um, in in some of the some of the uh, reservations, young people, you, you know, they get they get money from on a month a monthly stipend that comes from the, you know, from the gains of the casinos, and and some of them spend all the money on wheat. Okay, and so there's a lot of criticism of
1: um, folks like that. Which is, um, which is really, to me, um, in a way, it's a resistance um,
0: of the whole, you know, the whole notion of
1: grace.
0: I mean, you know, the grace of God that we have through Jesus, through our salvation, through the cross. You know, when we're resisting things based on this attitude of like, this person is undeserving. I just wonder what you all think about that. Like, how does the message of the grace of God and salvation through Jesus um, affect how we might, or how should it affect the way we would view people that are super messed up in part because of their own, you know, their own choices that are maybe not the wisest choices?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, there's
5: a, I have a perfect something that happened this morning at uh, the food bank that I um, that I run out of my church, and there had there was an individual that came in and identified with friends, and this wasn't the first time um, she likes to be called a she uh, that she had come her name Gina, and it's interesting because this what you just mentioned. Um, played out this morning, and I, I was quite peed off, to be honest. Um, I'll tell you why after, I'll try not to make this long. So Gina wanted some, she wanted prayer. Um, and so we did, there were a couple of us that did pray. But then after that, uh, one of the other helpers, and these are helpers that have volunteered for the food bank, so they want to be servers. Um, and they're also, we're also called, the whole purpose of this food bank was not just to give food, physically it's also to to feed spiritually and that's one of the things that we made clear um when opening when starting this food bank this isn't about us um getting food yeah that's part of it right but it's, it's deeper than that so god's bringing people in and they're not looking like some of these servers want them to look and uh i just i don't know i felt very offended for this individual that came in, not that I agree, not that I have to agree with the fact that uh, um, that, that's irregardless, right? She wanted prayer um, and a few of us gathered around and prayed. And then that one negative person had to come and say out loud, she's not a she, that's a he. You should be saying he when you're praying. And I thought, wow. And it took a lot for me not to say anything because I am very, not afraid to use my words, Um, but I think definitely like the Holy Spirit, I just had to ask the Holy Spirit to hold my tongue Um, because of that one little word. Okay, like Gina, yes, Gina is a he, Um, but she right now is identifying as trans. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna use the word she just because that's who she is identifying as not because I agree with it, but who cares about what I agree with at this point? Um, It's about salvation and God can't work in a person or that person can't encounter the Holy Spirit with me. That's a personal thing. So I was just so offended and I still am. So I don't know, hopefully this does connect (laughs) because I just felt like it did. Um,
0: I think it could.
1: Or maybe I just needed to vent, I don't know. (laughs)
0: anyway. Thank you. For, thank you for sharing that. I think that's totally appropriate. Any other examples? Like, um, you know, I think we're not, I don't know, maybe you're used to thinking about the theology of, say, Jesus and what he does for us by grace through the salvation that's given to us, not as a result of works and, and, and social issues. But we, if, we, if you're not used to that, we need to learn how to make those connections, you know, between you know, like how we view people, whether whether they're qualified or not qualified, according to certain criteria of, say, our organization or the government. You know, that those that's one category of of looking at something and determining something, and then the other category is, well, the 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 I think a much higher level of uh, of of who we are before God. Can anyone think of any other examples of? of the salvation that we are given by grace, affecting the way we would view our walking alongside people who may be not qualified in the eyes of the world or even
1: their communities.
4: I just had a interaction last week with a woman who was fleeing domestic violence uh, and she grew up Catholic. Um, and so she thought, she assumed I was a Catholic priest Um, because of the collar, and so we had that's kind of how we started talking um and we had this really powerful talk about um you know not needing to go to the priest for to have a relationship with jesus and her mom had um somehow made it seem like her situation with this relationship was her fault so like her situation was her fault and she needed to go to the church to um to repent and, and seek absolution. Um, and so we had this really great talk about, you know, she really wanted to know, it was kind of unusual because she really wanted to know what the difference was between priests and pastors and what the difference was between Catholics and Protestants. And just the notion that she could have a relationship with Jesus and, uh, you know, not have to deal with me. Like I said, I don't have special superpowers because I'm a pastor. Um, and so I think she was really stunned about the lack of hierarchy maybe that jesus is coming at you with uh, Anyway, it was really powerful because i thought she has to unpack all of the years of uh levels and layers of how to get to how to get to god um and then just to be able to say oh no i'll bring you a bible next week and we can have a bible study um so i don't know it's powerful uh time of that but it I've I've been with people who have a more formal background or have a theology of oh like different Catholic deacons not really being kind of annoyed because a woman involved in prostitution is wearing a cross. Or years ago there was a street kid who called himself preacher. And uh, this African American, I mean, I say it's African American guy who's like a real kind of sort of black church guy, I guess you could say. That doesn't sound racist, but he, he was really, uh, really offended by the kid calling himself preacher. I was like, yeah, he's 14 and he's homeless. <laughs> Can't have grace for that. You know, so but I guess those are those are two examples that come to mind.
0: Wow. I, that's amazing. Thank you. That's powerful. I had a, um, I've been dealing with um, this guy. We call it, he goes by the name of Soldier. He's he's a guy that's a gang involved um, guy that's been in prison lots. And when he's been in our local jail, he's often in solitary confinement because he's got serious mental health issues and and he gets really belligerent and and he's a big enough guy so that people are threatened by him and he's and he fights and but he was killed. He was brutally murdered a couple weeks ago after he won some money in a casino. And uh, his body was found. And anyway, I've been dealing with all these addicts on the streets that we go around on and and deal with and pray for. And and they're all grieving the, the death of soldier. But when they talk about him, they're like, yeah, first my first encounter with him is he stole all this money from me. Or he stole all this stuff from me or these drugs. And all of them had experiences of being harmed by or, you know, being sinned against by this guy. But then they all said, "But we know his other side, which is just so endearing, and we love him." And this whole community of the streets are all grieving the death of this guy. But they'd all, but they're showing so much grace. Then there's another guy um, who uh, we thought was the murderer. There's a guy that we know who who prayed for Gracie's shoulder. He's this guy. uh, Everyone, we were all feeling distressed because we thought that was the rumor on the street that he'd killed this other guy soldier, and that he was on the run. Well, it turned out. He wasn't the murderer. It was this other, got other couple that I also knew from the jail, who are now in for first degree murder. So this other guy that was at large now, who's who's the guy we thought that, we thought had done the killing. I said, oh, what a relief, he's out. And then they said, oh well, not really, because the other day he came by this other man's uh, little Toyota, um, and he pointed an AR-15 at his head. But it, but he was apt, he was trying to shoot uh, another guy who had a white car, a white Toyota. But it was the wrong guy. And uh, and so anyway, what a relief that he didn't he didn't shoot the wrong guy. But what a, I'm glad he didn't shoot the right guy either, right? <laughs> so anyway, I was just. Uh, but then I went and I found the guy that had been that had been the wrong guy who had had the AR-15 put to his head, and I said, oh man, that must have been really upsetting. He goes, oh no you know, I really love that guy. And there was so much grace he had towards the guy who pointed the AR-15 mistakenly at him. I thought, wow, there's so much more grace on the streets than there is in the church.
2: I think part of that is because so many people on the streets do not have a family. And it's just like, you know, uh, that's their family. So even, and we can think about our family members who are so annoying and horrible. They can be horrible to us and others. And we really are bothered by them on the other hand there's things that we love about them so it's a mix isn't it and I I think many I was just talking to somebody the other day about about um, loneliness and isolation and one thing I heard is that a lot of people don't want to get an apartment by themselves because then they're going to lose their whole family on the streets there's like way more community than a lot of us even have and And so that makes me think that there's it's it's really complicated, but it is a lot about the need, such a higher need for human contact that they that people can even put up with that kind of stuff. And that tells us, yeah, the need for the ch- church to be what it's supposed to be, because if the church was supposed doing what it was supposed to be, we wouldn't have that
0: right? People that are camping out, I mean, people that are, that are unhoused, maybe prefer the community over being housed and being isolated, for sure. And cause maybe they're they're it, It's that adventure of just living and having solidarity with others that are on the margins. That is, it's attractive. Anyway, um, we I just
1: want to go ahead oh yeah uh
3: sorry i had a thought but then i wanted to make sure i understood the question could you repeat the question that you had originally asked that people were? Thinking? the question i
0: asked was like when you think about jesus um taking our sins upon himself and saving us by grace through his death and resurrection you know and how by grace we're saved and not by works and how we're qualified not by our own righteous acts but by because of the love of god towards us you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Like, how does that, you know, how might that affect the way we would treat someone that uh, the world, uh, maybe the status quo, or even the, someone's own community might view them. Someone who would, would be regularly uh, showing themselves to be, un, you know, to be unworthy, I guess, of, of some kind of help.
3: I think like what I was thinking about it. So I have a social work education, and I actually so I just graduated last April. And actually, the reason why I got into social work was because, um, well, I had talked to God and I prayed, and I asked God, how can I love people? And I've always been like called to that suffering um, of other people, and I think yeah like I had I went to school for social work and it was really interesting most of my class were Christians in the social work profession we had that commonality of like we were all touched by Jesus care for for people who were treated poorly and um yeah I remember one time in my classroom um so I I noticed things and I I, I, I can I guess it's God has given me this gift and I also have the education as well. But I was going through the mall in my, in the city, like um, in Winnipeg, and I saw these posters around and they were talking about like, you are the heart of this community, not the drug dealers or gang members. And it was a police forum for the community to talk to them about gang violence and methamphetamine. And I like saw that and I just became like so enraged I was like, this is wrong. Like, this is not how we deal with this issue. Like, we're pushing away people in our community. They are part of our community. And so I I brought it up in class and I said, you know, like, I want to go to this forum because I want to speak with the chief of police. I want to hear what the community has to say. Who are the people that are going to this forum? Are they going to be middle class? Are they going to have more, you know, a different position in society than the people that they're talking about, which they don't know their lives or why they're at that point? Mm -hmm. You know, we need to instead of judging our neighbors, we need to try to listen to our neighbors and have compassion.
1: Totally.
3: So I was I told that to my teacher, my teacher was like, Yeah, Ashley. And I was like, Yeah, like, but then I had a classmate who's beside me, and I know he's an atheist. And he turns to me, so you're gonna defend those people. And I said, you know, they're they're a human being too, you know, like not that what they do is right but that, you know, like we need to embrace them as part of our community. We need to try to, to understand one another, but he just judged me. And actually that day I lost a friend. Uh, but but yeah, that's just something I was
2: thinking about. So, <laughs> There's a book that, um, I don't know if you've um, seen this book by Shane Claiborne that came out about love. Would you know that it's love? I should go get it. But um, he talks about that we can have issues you know, about the homeless or about, you know, um, pro-life, um, this or that, but if we don't know people on the other side of the issue that we're judging, then we we it's we can't really rightly have a position unless we know the people that are connected to the issues, and so I, I think um, that's an excellent
0: book. Because, Why don't you go find it?
2: Yeah, he talked about being um, so anti-abortion you know um in high school and stuff to the point where for his senior paper he wanted to write something about how anybody who does not anybody who supports um abortion should have the death penalty (laughs) right and then he's like uh after a while he realized wait a second but abortion is killing so really he kicked people who are so um you know, anti abortion can be more just about pro life before life, you know, and Even before birth, be th- before birth. They should call it pro free birth or something because, because I mean, it's still, it's still violence, right? Why the death penalty and why guns when you're, 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 um, you know, you're anti, you don't want to kill babies, but yet you'd put someone who's against that, you'd kill them. And he says it took him getting to know people, you know, who had had to have abortions, or, you know, it took people who uh, had been involved and, you know, were on death row, and were, you know, wrongfully um, convicted, you know, things like that for him to actually start changing his opinion. I'm gonna go run down and get that book while you continue. But thanks for bringing that up. I think that he taught and really love is is the most important thing, and when it comes to any of these issues, isn't it? It's about love rather than being, you know, whatever social justice oriented
0: right. Get it? So this term about strangers and aliens, like scripture uses this language that we're strangers and aliens, you know, like First Peter two, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. So, like, I mean, imagine, uh, do we see ourselves in our churches as aliens and strangers? And the language that's used here, paroikos, and, uh, you know, the other word, parap, let's see, what's it called? Paroikos and parap These are like the terms of the day for, like, you know, like, like foreigners, strangers, aliens. It's, it's not just spiritual language. So, uh, you know, the early church, first Christians understood themselves not to be entitled citizens, but, you know, to be really, um, like through our new baptismal identity, we're citizens of the kingdom, but not citizens. That's our primary identity. And so if we're seeing ourselves as primary, our primary identity being citizens of the kingdom, it's it's like, I've been thinking about this a lot when it comes to, um, like one of the problems with groups like like inner city youth alive, or you know, Union Gospel Mission, or, or uh, you know, like, like Michael, your your uh, what's the name of your organization again?
4: Operation Night Watch.
0: Operation Night Watch, or Tiana Like we. We have to do things and say things and write up things in order to get, in order uh, you know, Jesus says beware that we pr- of not practicing your righteousness before others, to be seen by them. Right, otherwise you've received your reward. Okay, well, nonprofits—that's what we do—is we, you know, we 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 need our donors to see what we're doing. You know, foundations, grantors, churches, uh, personal sort supporters. Uh, otherwise, like, why would they want to support us? But then, is that our reward? Is the donation that we get right? And so, uh, but throughout the, this. Matthew six, Jesus keeps saying, you know, you're going to receive. You're not going to receive your reward. That's the reward. You're not going to receive your reward from the Father. And at the end of that text, it says, you know, be, do not store up treasures for yourselves on earth, where moth and rust rust corrupts, and where thieves break and steal. But tre- store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So just even that notion that of that we're working towards, like in this, our primary identity is is citizens of this kingdom that's an eternal kingdom and we're living our lives uh in view of that eternal life like our our eternal life begins now and we're to we're to live like as that being our primary reality. If that's our primary reality, then how is that how how would that affect all of our dealings, you know, with criminals, with people that are whoever they might be, sex offenders, people that are gender you know, going through gender confusion and, um, and maybe in a militant way or, uh, or hardcore right-wing conservatives who are, are super annoying to us, whoever they might be, how, how does our true identities as st- strangers and aliens, you know, it, is that affecting us adequately? Like beware of practicing your righteousness before, beware of when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who stand you know, um, before others to be, to be noticed by them. But when you pray, go in your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. Okay. So it's like, um, wow. So it's like, we're really living. And if we're living that way, then how's that going to affect the way that our quality of presence when we're with people, if we're, if we're with people, not even letting our left hand know what our right hand's doing, but we're, our quality of presence is really we're doing everything before God uh, to be seen by only by God, not to be seen by other people. So I wonder whether that would make us that would I think that would affect our quality of presence with people. And it got me thinking that Jesus must have been that same way, been doing his righteousness not to be noticed, which then, of course, he says, don't tell anyone when he's healed, you know, go and um You know, he he tells people not to tell anyone about about who healed them or anything, right? And so, if he's like that, then maybe that's why we're not noticing Jesus is that he's trying not to be noticed. (laughs) Anyway. Should I show this? Yeah, show that book.
2: Oh, so this book by um, Shane Claiborne, the one I mentioned, is called Rethinking Life, and the subtitle is Embracing the Sacredness of Every Person. See that. Or is it, does it look up, does it look no, that's backwards? Right. That's right. Um, but yeah, that's it. Beautiful book. Um, Shane Claiborne is somebody that's been really inspirational to both Bob and I. Um, when it comes to, you know, issues versus people.
0: So here's another text about that. All these died in faith. This is Hebrews eleven thirteen. Without receiving the promises, having but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Or here, there's another one, First Peter 1, where he's identifying himself as writing to aliens. Um, but then because we're members of the household of God, we're also told that we're no longer strangers and aliens when it comes to the kingdom of God but we're fellow citizens with the saints that are of God's household. So we have to choose, am am I gonna be primarily a Canadian or American or am I gonna see myself primarily as a daughter of the father of Jesus? Like, you know, how am I gonna see myself according to my racial ethnic profile? um, You know, white, Northern European, male or whatever, or whatever my gender identity is like, or am I gonna see myself primarily as neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female? slave nor free like in my status as a child of god and how if that's my true identity if i'm seeing myself really the way i am as a daughter child daughter son of god how should that how might that affect like i was thinking um it says this one thing that seems like a contradiction to, to what jesus teaches you know how he says don't beware of practicing your righteousness before people well a scripture that a lot of us are familiar with um which is like let your light so shine before others you know like like we're supposed to be a city on a hill and and uh we don't want to put our you know put our our light under the bushel no you know how's that song go i'm gonna let it shine
3: mm-hmm.
0: did you guys sing that yeah, or <laughs> there you go so think about this then so that that's the text that we might use because a lot of us grew up thinking mm-hmm. well the way that we're going to evangelize is by is by people seeing our good works hmm Okay, but what it says is that that they're not supposed to see our works, our works. They're supposed to see our it says, let your light so shine before others. Um, and that they would see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven, not glorify you. So we're supposed to let our light shine so shine before people in such a way, is what it says.
2: Well it does say let so that your let working.
0: your light so
1: shine. Let me read it. Let's see.
0: Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So that seems to contradict. We're supposed to do everything in in a way that is hidden before others, right? In secret. But a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, that it may give light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So it's we're supposed to let our light shine in such a way that they would see our good works, but not glorify us, but glorify our Father who is in heaven. So that's a particular way, isn't it? A particular way of shining our light that Mm -hmm. maybe we need to reflect upon more. I I think I do. I feel inspired Mm -hmm. to anyway. So if we look at some of the basis for advocacy, um, a lot of it has to do with like a certain kind of seeing, um, you know, we looked at the Exodus story back, um, in the first module about how God, um, how seeing was at the heart of a certain kind of activism. You know, the, when the midwives saw that it was a baby boy, they were supposed to let it die, but but instead they let it live. Or when um, Moses's mother saw that it was a beautiful baby, she hid baby Moses rather than throwing him in the river. And when the Pharaoh's daughter saw that it was an Israelite baby, um, she adopted the baby. And so seeing is associated with, you know, with resistance and lawbreaking in, in, in the Exodus story. And, um, and then we see that God saw the, uh, the misery of his people and he heard their cry. And so he came down to save. He recruited Moses to go and to be his agent of liberation. And Jesus, the same language is used in the New Testament. Um, seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Like that's beautiful, isn't it? And um, boy, I'll tell you when I went out with Michael on the streets of Seattle the one time, or just when Gracie and I go through our county uh, cities and we see the people that are, that are smoking the fentanyl, it's just like, wow, you really see these people like sheep without a shepherd. They, they truly are like, um, and, and you know, we, wanna, we don't wanna become jaded. We wanna be able to keep our hearts soft, however that can be done. You know, through spiritual practices, through dealing with our secondary trauma, you know, through therapy if we need it, through through prayer and worship. Um, then Jesus said to his disciples, "The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few." So compassion and being, um, you know, being seeing seeing this and being filled with compassion doesn't lead to just feeling all this empathy. It all, it leads Jesus to mobilize a movement. Um, of others that would that are going to go out the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few therefore beg the lord of the harvest to cast out workers into the harvest so compassion is a mobilizing mobilizes uh activism you know
1: like mission to me this is one of my very favorite scriptures for um
0: sort of that um so what is the spirit saying to you right now? We just take a minute t- together. We don't need to break up into groups, but and we don't have 15 minutes to journal, but what, 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 do, you, what do maybe some people that haven't shared too could share um, as well as others that have shared? That's fine too. But if, if there's somebody that hasn't shared, let's start with a couple people who haven't shared yet. What is the spirit saying to you right now? What, what's high, what's highlighted for you
1: with respect to what exactly do you with
0: respect mean? to just anything that we're anything that we're talking about so far in this first hour of our conversation is is there anything that anyone is feeling like is really being highlighted for you even if it doesn't seem like it's directly on the topic is there something that's being stirred up for anybody
1: it could even be a question that comes up for you I know some of us are verbal processors and
0: others of us are we need more time to kind of percolate and think about things and so i realized this kind of a venue prior to I me mean, kind of is, is easier for us those of us that are verbal processors
1: mm-hmm. so
2: many many of us are internal processors too and so it takes a while
0: and so i just want to encourage anybody just to not be just to try to step out of, of any kind of shyness or whatever and just because a lot of times some of the most precious things are are just hidden from us Mm -hmm. but not because we're not practicing our righteousness before people but just because we're shy or or, or we're we're not we're used to being more in the in in the hidden place is there anybody that has
1: anything that's okay if you don't I don't know. I, I think, uh, for me, like, I
3: feel like my heart's on fire when I, like, see pictures or right hear of, of, like, what people experience day to day, and, and, like, I definitely feel like, like, does the Lord, like, because I know I have my education, I went into that for, for a purpose, because I have that for me in my heart, and when we talk about this, it reminds me that my education, and those things and like all God's heart collides. It collides. And so like just thinking like those things that we talked about, it, it breaks God's heart. But like I just feel like inside of me like something breaks in me too. That like maybe the Lord is asking me to to just do more. Like not just sit complacent but to to do something about what I see. Because I do see things. And yeah, like doing more of, of that advocacy work, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was just something that I was thinking about. Like when I told earlier about that story at school, like, yeah, like, like I did feel like, almost like an anger comes out of me because I'm angry that, people go through this, and I'm angry that our world is like this, and I feel like with that anger, God wants to purpose that and channel that for
1: good. That's,
2: yeah, uh, maybe that could actually be God's anger. <coughs> you know? um, it's not like anger is always bad, because there's that scripture that says be angry, but don't sin. So, and Jesus was angry about different things when he turned over the table, the money changers tables, and when he Said different things to people, you know, and and so maybe we can, we, we're tuning into some of that, uh, God's feelings about about situations that aren't fair, and He gives us that passion to do something about it. It's like that—that's mm. the fuel. It should be the fuel to not go out and hurt people, but to go out and, you know, set the captives free or, or to educate others who don't know. they're hurting other people you know what i mean so that's that's cool to be aware of of where you're feeling uneasy Mm -hmm. and maybe ask if that's the holy
1: spirit Mm -hmm. yeah anyone else have a thought yeah actually i had a thought earlier too
3: um i guess it was bob that said it just like quoting the verse that says the harvest is plenty but the workers are few and i think that's something that I personally have been feeling like very heavily lately Mm -hmm. there's been a lot going on and it's just very easy to feel like not to mention like what the people we work with go through but even sometimes just what we go through in in feeling very like inadequate and not being able to do enough for like the amount of things that are going on and I think it was just really it's really like it's really treasured to hear like that Jesus was the one that said that our mm-hmm. is plentiful but I know that the workers are few and I think it makes me feel very seen mm-hmm. and makes like our our struggles feel very seen of like Jesus is saying like I know that you're doing your best and I know that you can't do everything okay. and and what you're doing you know there's definitely times where he's urging us to do to do more to like get out of our comfort zones absolutely and sometimes we are doing as much as we can and he's saying, oh, that's enough, and, and let me do the rest, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes we have to get to our own nothingness, so that God can actually make something out of it. Um, I think it's very, like, it makes me feel seen, like, just remember that Jesus said that. Right? I, I see you. I see that there's not enough of you, but I can I can do something with, with what you are doing. Mm-hmm. Thanks.
0: I'm so grateful to all of you there, and in winnipeg for your ministry and what you're doing with the people like it it super it's super encouraging to me because i sometimes like i read the news about the residential s- schools and we have a lot of reservations in our county too and just to know that you're out there helping you know kind of walking alongside young people is is uh, i know that sometimes that's thankless and and it feels futile and it's very and difficult too, yeah very difficult when you're working with young people that go back into families that are where there's so much brokenness and
1: Mm.
0: you know and those kids are exposed to all that and I'm just grateful for all of you and Mm -hmm. um, for doing the work that you do it makes uh, I, I feel like you know we're part of a body the body of Christ and you're part of that body and you're doing very
1: important beautiful work Anybody else? All right. Well, let's. Um,
0: so, how do we respond? I. I think. We want to be. Res- we want to be informing ourselves about what's going on through reliable news sources or just, uh, you know, good, analysis of what what's happening on the ground in our communities. We want to ideally be people that are led by the Holy Spirit. so we we want to be people who are learning how to pray um, and and listen. you know remembering that prayer is two-way communication. It's us speaking to God, but it's also God speaking to us. That prayer maybe is more God speaking to us than us speaking to God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so maybe we're not tuned in enough. I know I feel like I'm not tuned in enough to hearing what the spirit is like dropping into my consciousness through prayer you know um, i think romans 12 21 is a powerful thing don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good like okay overcoming evil with good like what is the good like that determining what the good is isn't so obvious You know, in in John 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and will convict the world regarding righteousness and justice. Okay, like like I think that's a text that suggests that the Spirit is going to show us what the good is. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, we might feel
0: like the good is to just give someone money who asks for money. But Jesus doesn't even say, ask and it will be given to you. He doesn't say that what will be given to you is what you ask for. It may be something different than what you ask for, right? <laughs> but just and, and it says ask and you will receive. Ask and you will receive. But So that gives us freedom to not just give what people ask for. Like if they say, ask for, you know, you, we know they're going to use some money for, you know, buying fentanyl or buying weed or whatever it is, right? Alcohol. We can give them something else that we know would be good for them that would that they would value. You know, practicing alignment with the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ, just knowing the mind of Christ through knowing Jesus more, through being people that are steeped in the Gospels, reading them hopefully. Um, practicing active enemy love, like like dealing with um, some of the people that offend us, the like in the case of that. Um, that hearing where there was a, the law enforcement people were going to talk about you know um, people you know who are the true people in our community and they're excluding others like like how do we go before the excluders with the right heart like I find myself really angry at the at our jail staff leadership who are just shutting out chaplaincy but I got to pray for them
1: mm. Engaging in Jesus's ministry as
0: practice in the Gospels. Um, You know, I mean, I guess I already mentioned that. Welcoming immigrants and refugees from a kingdom perspective, with a kingdom perspective, but not at the exclusion of local, you know, local people. I've I've seen this with, in our community here, most of the addicts that are on the streets are white. I know that's not always the case everywhere, but I don't see as many native people or, or Mexicans. And sometimes, um, I think some of the resentment that is populist resentment in in North America is is understandable in the sense that some of the um, you know poor uh, there's the there's the poor that never that are the unromantic poor that are that they don't have they're not fleeing a war zone they're not fleeing.
2: You want to re you want to find a different word for romantic.
0: You know, like we can we can say, well, I'm helping Sudanese refugees, or I'm helping, you know, um, like women who are fleeing domestic abuse. Okay, well, yeah, that's super important to do that. But like, some of those are are things that are highlighted already by by the media. But like, to to be to be open to come alongside somebody who's maybe a super annoying, paranoid, schizophrenic person. You know, who nobody can really handle because they're just very difficult, right? Like, like who's God putting on your
1: you know on your radar? Mm-hmm. and
0: and it, and it may be it may be that um, that God isn't calling us to work with uh, immigrants and refugees at all, but to be working with some of these people that are just under the radar who are who no one's caring for. Like, what do they say? Don't do what other people can or will do if, you can, if you're if you able to do what can, other people can't or won't do. That's, that's a phrase that I really like. It's kind of complicated. Don't do what other people can or will do if you're willing and able to do what other people can't or won't do.
2: In other words, there's people who no one cares about because they're not the cool poor. You know, they're not refugees. They're not abused women or men or whatever, but they might be people that you're not drawn to at all but Jesus is highlighting them somehow like you keep thinking about them even though they're hard to think about
0: like in our setting in North America we have all these sh- shooters that are just going and just massacring people like what would it look like for a revival to hit those people
2: to prevent some of that I think a lot of it is loneliness and feeling canceled you know we live in a canceled culture and when we, and and so i think that's what causes a lot of people to be unhoused because they're canceled by their families they're canceled by well just growing up in in the, in the school system public school system or they feel misunderstood and therefore by the time they get to be adults you know they feel so frustrated that, that they're able to do the, the horrendous things that they do but what if there was prevention for that you know, and people in the school system and everywhere, if there's like a network of people that were, that were really watching out for, for people with the signs of, of feeling completely frustrated, you know, before they blow up or blow other
1: people up.
0: So remembering baptismal death, citizenship in heaven, you know, um, which I, I, I include in my own baptismal death, sort of a death to my own like, like being um, surrendering over my own um, calling, my own interests, my own natural interests, and in just saying, Lord, like, put on my heart what hurt, you know, what breaks your heart, what you want me to be, what what, what you want on my radar, rather than just what the things that I'm known for being interested in, right? I see myself as good at. Like, I could focus on what I'm good at all the time, what I'm getting better at, rather than what God's calling me to 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 be open
2: to, isn't it funny how God chooses to do things that we feel like we're so unqualified to do? Like Moses was called to be a spokesperson for God, and he couldn't even speak, you know. And he's like, "No, choose my brother, choose some, anybody, just not me. I'm, I'm terrible at this." And God says, "Wait, I made your mouth. I can do. I can do whatever I want." And the whole point is because I want my glory to be manifest through people who aren't. Maybe good at what they're doing, and then people would see that it's God, right?
0: Gracie had a really we had a really I think I don't know if I've shared we've shared this, but back in December, late December, there was a a guy that we were ministering to on the streets who um, in the coldest moment, like we ended up actually doing a Bible study with all this all these homeless people that were high on it on fentanyl on we did it the day before Christmas, I think. And then, like the next day, or two days before Christmas, the day before Christmas, this guy died of an overdose death, and for some reason, Gracie just had such a heart for this guy that she tried to track down where's you know where he was, and um, it was really hard because of the um, all the HIPAA laws here, which mm-hmm. is like disclosure laws about you know if you don't if you're not given you know if somebody hasn't given permission for you to know um, their medical condition or something. I mean, you call a hospital and, and know what, the hospital won't even admit that someone's in the hospital or you can't find out anything about a person who may be in a coma. And so uh, Gracie found, found her way around some of that and was able to actually locate this guy who was in a coma. Um, and, and he was under a false name, a street name. And so she even, I don't know how you found that. But you found the guy's actual legal name, and then you were able to track down where the guy was hospitalized, and and then the family, where the who the family next of kin was were, and then that now that group has come to us. The family members have been coming to us, and they've asked us to do a, a memorial service for this guy. Or we've offered to, and so now we're ministering to his his father and his stepmother and his sister. And this was a guy who um, all of his organs were donated, and that had to be approved by the family and Gracie was because you went after that. But that was, I think that was Holy Spirit inspired mm-hmm. advocacy, really.
2: And directed. Yeah. Cause I didn't wouldn't normally have had so much of an interest in in figuring that out. I mean, the guy was already brain dead. So why should I do that? But, and we thought he had no, no family or anything, but it turns out he did have a family who he was disconnected From for like you know like 20 years or something kids and ex-wife and sister and you know parents and wow so
0: and some of his family they live in canada and like his father and so we're we're involved with this whole i mean we're having conversations and and these are people that are totally outside the church
2: so anyway so anyway god wants
0: to like Push us beyond our expertise, beyond our comfort zone. Empower us to to do things that maybe we we normally wouldn't know how to do. Mm. So um, I'm going to rapidly go through some other things here, just in the last five minutes. Just um, is there a basis for human rights advocacy in the Bible? I think uh, one of the strongest ones is just Genesis 1, 26 to 28, that God God made us in his image and likeness. And so every human being is made in the image of God. Uh, all creation is placed under all human beings' feet, okay? Um, which means the powers and principalities also. Next week, we're going to look at that in greater detail. Humans are never placed under other human beings in Scripture in terms of, like, part of God's ordained way.
2: What about masters and
1: servants?
0: That's that's different. I mean, that's a whole other topic. Okay. We look at um, like the blood of Abel cries out from the ground. So God hears um, even the blood of victims. like think about all those children that died in those residential
1: mm-hmm.
0: house, you know places, and the blood of the the blood of those children cries out from the ground. You know there's this scripture from Isaiah chapter twenty six that talks about um, That I think is totally applicable to what's going on with First Nations, Native Americans, but also just a lot of atrocities that have taken place. Like there's been so many people killed in Ethiopia quite recently, and most of it doesn't hit the press. Look at Isaiah 26. um, It says. uh, Right at the end of it, it says. um, Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. This is the same language in the Greek version of Isaiah 26 as Matthew, Matthew 6, where it says, when you pray, go in your room and close the door. But here, we're to go in um, and hide for a little while until the indignation runs its course, because there's judgment that's going to run its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed in other words like the hidden sins the hidden crimes against of human against humanity you know like think of all the people that have been victimized by colonization and but also even pre pre-colonization just by people people groups against one another families fathers mothers um, and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain so in other words there's going to be bringing into the light the hidden things God hears the cries of the poor, and God doesn't do anything without revealing what He's going to do to His, you know, to us, His followers, to the prophets. It says, right? So, prophetic exposure um, of abuses against the poor is something that is. We've looked at that throughout this, you know, earlier in the course. Um, We we saw how how the Spirit hovers over the darkness and the chaos. So God is present in those places and, and brings light. Um, we saw how God intervenes before Cain when he's angry and sort of advocating for Abel, but also just addressing the perpetrator before he's a perpetrator. Why are you angry? And then how God confronts Cain with the murder. Like that's a, that's a prime example of advocacy. Where is your brother? And then how God even pr- protects Cain by putting a mark on him, even though he also gives him a consequence. So we we see how um, the angel of the Lord pursues Hagar when she flees of the abuse from Sarah, and then even sends her back after he prophesies over her. Um, God defends Sarah from Pharaoh when Abraham um, refuses to protect her, and Pharaoh takes sarah into his harem abraham advocates for sodom and and for lot um you know uh, the angels rescued lot we're going to look at that uh, in a couple weeks um so i'm not going to go into it anymore here but so advocacy for the israelite slaves um who uh you know the baby boys we've seen that too and um and I've already looked at this about Exodus. And So there's so many other examples, and you're going to get all these. These are all in your notes. Um, so I think when we move in the flow of God's heart, we naturally advocate. And um, this is not based in our anger or rebellion, but in God's heart. So um, Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, all of them are exemplary advocates, and they're all in Jesus' genealogy, Matthew chapter 1 even though they all advocate in ways that are, are outside of the normal ethic that would be considered the righteous ethic.
2: In other words, they did things that were considered unclean and illegal and <laughs> dis, dishonorable.
0: Like Tamar dressed up like a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law because the, to, in order to bear a child in the name of her husband who, who was killed, it even says God killed him because he was wicked. But uh, Tamar, in order to bear a child that would be uh, that would be in the name of the firstborn, she sleeps with her father-in-law. It's crazy. It's like, but she's a heroine, heroine in the biblical story. And um, Moses is the ultimate advocate before Pharaoh with the signs and the wonders, you know. Um, and um, well, anyway, there's more that we could be that could be said um, about about all this, and I think we're out of time now. But once just just the a final point, um, So God chooses the weak to humble the strong. God calls reluctant, inarticulate people, like in this case, in the case of Moses, a murderer.
2: sinners huh? and
0: arms that person with signs and wonders and sends them before the powers to be an agent of liberation for the oppressed. So anybody is uh, is is could be among the 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 you know the the ones who God's sending out, out into the harvest. Hmm. Um, Isaiah forty to fifty five shows how God uses poor exiles and calls them My servant and sends them to bring justice to the nations. And God calls people to speak truth. to power Moses before Pharaoh, Samuel before King David, Saul and King David. Nathan before David and on and on and on Jesus before the scribes and the Pharisees. So anyway, with that, I think I'll, I'll just
1: wrap up today's session. Right. There's a lot to say on this subject,
2: <laughs> but yeah, your notes will have a lot, will fill things out a lot more if you want to go back and look. So um, next week, do we know what the topic is?
0: Next week oh, we have now yeah, we're going
2: to be doing a Bible study, I think.
1: But um,
0: I think we have less people on the call today because uh, the, this the thing didn't get sent out, reminding everybody.
1: Oh, okay.
0: But yeah. we'll be back with our other people next week.
2: Great. All right. Well, we will look forward to seeing you all uh, next Tuesday.